Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 3, how Adam and Eve could say after their fall in the Garden of Eden, God first, and how Hannah, in giving up her son Samuel, who would soon be prophet, could say as well, God first. Now, Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher here on the Friendship with God radio program, is not only a teacher, pastor, but he's also a scientist and CEO of Scanabody's Laboratory. Now, Tom Cantor is also the owner and operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum, which is the first and original creation museum. As our resource of the month, Tom Cantor is offering a DVD tour of the Creation Museum that features Tom Cantor and leading creation scientists and Bible teachers that cover the six days of creation as well as the seventh when God rested. Now, he will also include with this month's resource a great book on the Ice Age and the Flood that asks the question, does science really show millions of years? It's a tremendous book. It'll show you how the Bible and science all line up and explain the Ice Age. So get these two resources, Six Days of Genesis Creation, as well as the Ice Age book from Tom Cantor in the Creation Museum. $20 more donation to our radio ministry here at Friendship with God. Call us now or after the program. 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Or go online to friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher on Friendship with God. And she just couldn't wait for him to become the Messiah that's described in Malachi 4.12. The Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And she needed healing. They needed healing. And they were thinking of themselves and they were hoping for the Messiah that they could get healed, and they so wanted the Messiah to come now that for them, they were just sort of thinking, let's get this mess just over with. We fell into the sin, the Messiah has been promised, let him come, we'll die, go to heaven, and that'll just finish it all up. Now that was their personal interest, and that's what led them to hope that their firstborn would be the God-man. But the question is, Was that God's interest? That's a good question for all of us to ask all the time. Was that God's interest? We know what we want, and it's a good thing to ask the question, is that what God wants? What did God want with Adam and Eve? He said it in Genesis 1.28 when he said he blessed them, and he said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. Multiply. That means he wants to have more people than just Adam and Eve. God was interested in what he said. There's a very, very centerpiece verse for us. I want to keep this in mind. Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But Lord, we had a tragedy happen here, and we as your first people, we fell into sin. Maybe we should just change your plans. Just send the Messiah now. Take us to heaven. And it was a good try. We'll call it a good try. And God says, I will build, in spite of what happened, in spite of your fall, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Adam and Eve didn't understand this. And they thought that they were it. They didn't understand what it says in John 10, 16, when he said, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold of Adam and Eve, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. They would like to have said, Adam and Eve would have liked to have said to God, God, here's your fold. Lord, it's a nice fold. It's only two sheep, but it's still nice. We're a very nice church, Lord. Why don't you just stop here and be so much less distressful, so much calmer, And God said, I will build my church and the gates of hell with all the stress that that's going to bring will not prevail against it. So there was this tug of war of interests 
of just getting the Redeemer now for themselves or God's interest of multiplying to build his church. And this tug of war, good question for us. Do we care about God's interest to build his church in spite of the gates of hell? Or do we say, gates of hell? Oh, you got to be kidding. I think I'll have lunch instead. Anyway, there's likely a period of time between verses 1 and 2 of Genesis 4. And in that period, Adam and Eve saw something. They would have noticed Cain's true colors coming out. They would have seen him as a hard-hearted, unrepentant, me-first, incorrectable, just a horrible person. And seeing this really discouraged Adam and Eve. Oh, they hit the bottom. Because they looked at their hope. They thought he was going to be a Messiah. It was all shattered when they saw his behavior and they realized he's not the Messiah at all. So what happens? A great depression sets in over Adam and Eve. It's like a dark cloud of despair just comes over them. Hope is lost. Where are the promises of God? They can almost say as in 2 Peter 3, 4. Where's the promise of his coming? So full of despair and seeing how Cain has developed, when their next child is born, they call him Abel or Hevel, which means vanishing or perishing. It's the same word, you know, the, the key word in the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm sure you'd all say that's the word vanity, right? That's the same word. Vanity. Vanity of vanities in Ecclesiastes 1, 2. Havel, Havelim. That's the same word. Havel, Havelim. It's the same word. In other words, it means perishing. Because they felt their hope was perishing. You know, poor kid, right? I mean, you know, he gets a name like perishing. You know, someone comes up to someone and says, oh, what a beautiful baby. What's his name? Perishing. Perishing? You need therapy. Perishing. You name a kid perishing. Anyway, that's what they named him. Perishing. You ever felt like that? Like Adam and Eve? That you had your heart set on this child, this job, this marriage, this direction, this career. See it all smashed? Perishing? That was Adam and Eve. They were shocked to see Cain develop into this deceiver, this hostile, this headstrong, this cruel person that he was, stubborn. So we look at Adam and Eve, and when we look at verse 1 and see how quick they were to jump for joy, and then we look at verse 2 and see how quick they were to jump for despair, we've got to take a lesson from that. We say, oh, let's learn something from that. We need to be cautious about going, our going forward. They weren't asking the question, what's God doing? They assumed, well, God is going to bring the Messiah immediately because we need him, and so this must be him. And in verse 2, they weren't cautious there in asking what's God doing. They assumed that, well, you know, since he's not it, then God is just going to give up. He's going to give up. They needed to do the advice that Naomi told Ruth in Ruth 3.18 when she was anxious. Ruth was anxious to get married to Boaz, And Naomi told Ruth, then said she, sit still, she told this to Ruth, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. In other words, she was saying, let's see what God's going to do in this. Good advice, Proverbs 16, 3, commit thy works unto the Lord, let thy thoughts be established. Psalm 37, 7, rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him, fret not thyself. Remember what happened with the Gibeonites. They came, they were the enemies of Israel. They tricked Israel into making this peace agreement with them by saying they were from a very far country and so forth. And the tragic verse is that God knew what was happening. He could have told them in an instant. He was waiting for them to ask. But the tragic verse of Joshua 9.14 was that Joshua, with the leaders, it says, and the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. That was tragic. 
God was just saying, if you only would have asked me, you could have avoided so much trouble. But instead they said, God, this is an easy one. I can handle this one. This one's okay. You take the hard ones. I'll take the easy ones. It's a wonderful word that comes to us, though. When we see these failures, there's a wonderful word we see in verse 2, and it's the word again. It says in Genesis 4, 2, and she again bare his brother Abel. That's a wonderful word. That's wonderful. Even though Cain turned out to be the one who remained the seed of the devil, God brought an Abel who did change his seed chip and he became the seed of God. And after all the terrible things that occurred there, as we didn't really read it all, but when you come down to verse 25, you'll see it again. And Adam knew his wife again. I love that word. Again. And she bare a son called his name Seth. And for God said she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel whom Cain slew. Those are the first times, by the way, in the Bible, the word again appears. It's twice, these two times, first times. And they show something great about God. You know, God could have said to Adam and Eve, all right, I promised you that I would send the seed of the woman. I didn't promise it would be your firstborn. As a matter of fact, I told you there was going to be this other seed, but you chose not to listen. And because the Redeemer is not your firstborn, you gave up and you named your secondborn perishing, which was a message to me. I heard it. So you give up with me? Well, I give up with you. Well, that's not God. That's not what God did, and that's not who God is. God did not. He remained silent in great patience with Adam and Eve. He just worked gently with them to bring them along. And as it says in Psalm 103, some great words, it says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy. He says, As far as the east is from the west, how, so far hath he removed our transgressions. From us, Like as a father pitieth his children, the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust, as he knows that man's days are as grass, and they're gone, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. These are great words to describe God. In another instance, when he brought to Jeremiah a prophecy of judgment, a message for the Jewish people in Jerusalem, and especially for the king, wanting him to repent. And he brought this prophecy of judgment what was going to happen. And what happened there is that God carefully told Jeremiah all these words, this prophecy. And Jeremiah carefully dictated them to his secretary, Baruch. And Baruch carefully wrote them all down on a scroll and rolled up the scroll. And when the king heard about the scroll and all the words, and he asked to, to hear it. So they brought the scroll in and and he was sitting in front of a fireplace, and he had a pen knife, and he said, bring it to me. And the servants of the king pleaded with him, don't destroy the scroll. But he cut it up with the pen knife and threw it in the fire. Now, that was a real oh-no moment. You know, what are we going to do? Because, you know, God carefully told Jeremiah, and Jeremiah carefully dictated, and Baruch carefully wrote it and all that. And one sweeping motion, it's all gone. It's all gone. You ever had that happen to you? You feel that way? There were two of these lessons which got accidentally erased, and uh, I felt a little bit like that. <laughs> and so, have you ever been typing something on a word on your computer and you accidentally deleted it and there was no way to recover it? That ever happened to any of you? You get that dizzy feeling as it sort of like sets in, oh, it's gone. Oh, your hours of work, it's gone. <laughs> you know, you ever had that happen? Well, that's what Jeremiah felt, you know, and Baruch too. It's hard to write all those Hebrew letters and everything. But it says in Jeremiah 36, 27, 28, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, after that the king had burned the roll and the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah, saying, Take thee again, there's the word, take thee again, another roll, and write it in all the former words which were in the first roll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, hath burned. 
That's what's so great about God. He's the God of the again. He said, we'll do it again. So God didn't say, you shouldn't have given him the whole thing. Why didn't you give him us the cliff notes or you know, a copy or something like that? What's the matter with you? you know, he didn't say that. God said, it's all right. I understand. We will write it again. We'll do it again. And I love the way it says about the second one in Jeremiah 36, 32. Then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah. And he wrote, who wrote Aaron all the, from the mouth of Jeremiah, all the words of the book, which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And there were added besides unto them many like words. So it even got bigger and better. You know, that's what God says. We'll make it better. We'll make the second version better. In fact, when you look back on it, you'll say, oh, the second one was better. So I retaped two of these lessons. Instead of 42 minutes, they became an hour. So <laughs> because I want to be like Jeremiah, right? You know, that was a great thing. It says, I'm not sorry all the work got cut up and burned in the fire. You just call that the first draft, God says. All of those things work together to make it even better. That's God. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on the Friendship with God radio program. We want to encourage you to sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse that comes by email to your phone or to your email. You can sign up online at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also search for Tom Cantor's materials. Some of them are free online at friendshipwithgod.org, or we have an online bookstore that's available. You can also donate to support this Bible teaching radio program at friendshipwithgod.org. As we mentioned at the top of our broadcast, to encourage you to support this Bible teaching radio program, Tom Cantor's got two gifts available for you this month for a donation of $20 or more. His teaching on a DVD on the six days of creation, as well as the Ice Age and Flood book. So call us now or after the program at 800 247 3051 for these two great resources from Tom Cantor. 800 247 3051, or go online to friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, as we continue studying from the book of Genesis. Exodus 32, one of the darkest chapters in the Jewish people's history. You want to remember it? Genesis 32 is one of the brightest chapters when Jacob gets his name of Israel. But Exodus 32 is another story. And as wonderful as Genesis 32 is, Exodus 32 is terrible. Moses is on Mount Sinai. He's getting the law of God with the two tables of stone. They're written with the finger of God. How wonderful. The people get impatient. They corral Aaron into being an accomplice of making a golden calf idol. They worship the idol. Moses comes down off the mountain, and it says in Exodus 32:19, it came to pass as soon as he came nigh into the camp, he saw the calf and dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hand and break them beneath the mount. Moses asks his brother Aaron, how did this calf get made? And Aaron says to him in verse 24, I don't know. He says, <laughs> I said unto them, whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me and I put it in the fire and out came the calf. So Moses got a lot of problems. Poor Moses. Anyway, that was a tough day. 3,000 people were killed, slaughtered. God sent a plague. It was a bad day for Israel. Genesis 33, next chapter, it's really wonderful. It's Moses retreating to God. It's a wonderful, some of the most wonderful things that God ever said to man are in the next chapter, chapter 33. It was almost as if God saying, as terrible as Genesis 32 is, I'm going to make 33 fantastic, because that's what I do. But the end of it all, when it's all done, Moses looks at the broken pieces of the tables of stone that were the law of God, you know, written with the finger of God, and I don't know anything else in the Bible that was written with the finger of God, and says to himself, that was the precious gift from God. What did I do? 
I just broke, I broke these two tables. It took a long time to make the blank tables. And then he writes it with his finger and I just smash it here and I'm sitting here. It was very easy for Moses to get very depressed. You know, he says, you know, my problem is I have such a, I wax hot. I have a bad temper. One of the most tragic things in the Bible is it kept him out of the promised land because of that. But in that state, God sees Moses and God says to Moses in Exodus 34.1, the next chapter, and the Lord said unto Moses, hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first. And I'll write upon these tables the words which were in the first tables. And in case we forgot, he adds then, which thou breakest. (laughs) God did not say to Moses, why didn't you protect the tables? He says, you had no business breaking the tables. I went to a lot of trouble to write the law with my finger and everything. And what's the matter with you, Moses? Now you go out there and sweep up those broken pieces and put them in front of you until you learn your lesson. He didn't do that. That's not what God did. What God did is he said, Moses, it's all right. It's all right. Get rid of the broken pieces. Forget about it. Don't try to glue them back together. He says, we'll make new ones. And he made new ones. That's our God. That's so wonderful. We go about breaking a lot of things in life. And God says, I'll make you successful because I'm the God of the again. And to Jeremiah, God was saying, I'm the God of the again. We'll write it again. And to Adam and Eve, he was saying, I'm the God of the again. We'll give you more children again. And again, and you'll get the seed of the woman that'll live and not be murdered. And that's our God today. He's the God of again. And where we failed, even if a Jewish or a Gentile person all of his life has been a rebel against the Lord Jesus Christ and still wants to make peace with them, and he feels so absolutely weak, God says, here's my outstretched arm. Just grab a hold. That's what he says in Isaiah 27, 5 through 6. And let him take hold of my strength, that he may make peace with me, and he shall make peace with me and he shall cause them to come of Jacob to take root. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. Thank God for Genesis 4, verses 2 and 25, and that word again. God was so patient with them that he did that. Now, in verse 1, it was all about Eve and all about Adam, and they just wanted the Messiah to come for them. But God said, I am going to build my church And in verse 2, it was still about herself. All the hope was perished, and they didn't care about the seed part, and God was going to build this church. But as long as Adam and Eve stayed on these rocks of self-centeredness, they were not going to move on. So when you come to verse 25, a great change has happened. A great change, because now Adam knew his wife again. She bare a son, and she called his name Seth. She says, for God, all of a sudden it's God said she, hath appointed me another seed. Now, the seed part's important. The great change, it's all about what God's doing. It's all about God. It's all about his seed. He's continuing on his plan, and I get to be a part of it. He's building his church, and I get to be a part of it. And for all God's patience, he was waiting for Adam and Eve and patient to come around, and he changed them, Adam and Eve, because it says in Philippians 2.13, it took a while But for Adam and Eve, it was true. For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. His good pleasure. Make a seed through which the Messiah will come. Your happiness will come when you're about his good pleasure. Hannah was a great woman. A great woman of God. And it says in 1 Samuel 1.5, the Lord had shut up her womb. She was infertile. She had no children. And Hannah so dearly wanted a son. But there was a conflict between God and Hannah. Because Hannah was not putting God first in her life. 
She wanted the son. And so God had indicated to me at Scanabodies, in my own testimony, you've heard me say it before, this phrase has come to me, you take care of my business, I'll take care of your business. In other words, you put God first, and we have that on our uh, desk of our upper managers. We have these bronze plaques. It says, the Lord Jesus Christ first. And Hannah had to say to God, God, I want you first. But she was saying, God, I want a son now. And you know what God said to Hannah? God says, you want a son now? I want a prophet now. And so we have this tug of war. I want a son first. God says, I want a prophet first. And so it goes back and forth. Son first, prophet first. Son first, prophet first. And this tug of war. And this was going on. And it so was ripping her apart that finally, in 1 Samuel 1.11, she surrenders. And she gives in. And she says to God, you win. Here's my white flag of surrender. I'm throwing down now the weapons of my warfare. And she says these words. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, otherwise known as a son, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And you know what she said? She said, you win, God first, prophet first. And then came that eventful day when she followed through. And she took the boy. She didn't have to do it, but she did it. And she brought the little boy Samuel to the temple, and she said to Eli the priest, 1 Samuel 1, 27, 28, For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And it so stirred up Eli, it says he worshipped the Lord. He was so challenged. And she walked away saying, God first now. And she found the peace and the happiness and the contentment when she said God's interests first. And the next thing she did, beautiful prayer of release. And you'll find that in 2 Samuel 2, the first 10 verses there, when she rejoiced in God. Did Hannah lose a son? No. Because that says later on in 1 Samuel 2, 20-21, Eli blessed Elkanah and his son and said, The Lord give thee seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord. And they went unto their own home, and the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Not bad, Hannah. Not bad. You give up one son to God, and you get three and two daughters later. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ said. Nobody has given up anything for the kingdom of God that hasn't gotten a hundred times more in this life and the one to come. What's the message for us? Take care of God's interests first. God says, I'll take care of your interests. I need a son now. God says, I need a prophet now. Whoever wins that argument determines what our ultimate joy and happiness and contentment and purpose in life is going to be. If we win the argument, we lose. If God wins the argument, we win. God was saying, I need a prophet now. I need a house now. God says, I need my house in heaven filled up with people, saved people, that you can win for me now. I need a wife now. God says, I need a bride of Christ right now that you can bring by your faithful witness. I need the safety and the comfort of living here in the U.S. now. And God says, I need foreign people to have safety and comfort of being saved through me building my church now. For Adam and Eve, I need a redeemer now. God says, I need a seed to build my church. For Hannah, it was, I need a son now. God said, I need a prophet now. For the Lord Jesus Christ in Gethsemane, he said, I need a life. And God said, I need a lamb. 
You get the life later, three days later. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be like Adam and Eve and Hannah, the Lord himself, and say with them, God first, in Jesus' name, amen. Another amazing study from the Old Testament with Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today out of Genesis 3 and how Adam and Eve put God first as well as Hannah put God first with giving up her son Samuel and how we too in like manner as the first commandment tells us to need to put God first. Now if you love the Friendship with God radio program and our Bible teacher Tom Cantor, we want to encourage you to support this Bible teaching Old Testament teaching radio program and you can do so by going online to donate at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can donate right online, or we can take your donation to support the Friendship with God radio program right over the phone. Now remember, if you have a donation of $20 or more this month, Tom Cantor has two great resources for you. Because Tom Cantor is not just a teacher, pastor, scientist, and CEO. He's also the owner and operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum, in Santee, California. It's the original Creation Museum and the first of its kind. And Tom Cantor owns and operates that. And as a resource of the month, Tom Cantor is offering a DVD tour of the Creation Museum that features and goes over the doctrine of the six days of the Genesis creation, as well as the seventh when God rested. We're also including, as a bonus, a great book on the Ice Age and the Flood that asks the question, does science really show millions of years? It's a great book that will show you how the Bible and science explain the Ice Age. Now call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Or to donate and support this ministry, call us 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051.